Well, we're five weeks into this uh, series that we have been studying as we've gone through these earliest messages from Peter um, in Acts as he presents to the Jewish people who Jesus showed himself to be and had taught himself to be. Uh, as we've gone through this, really, the, the, we, we've dealt with the fundamentals of who he is. We have seen him in his identity, and we've seen him kind of begin to show us who he was through the things that he had done. And so, just as a quick review, let me just help, let me just remind you where we're at. We've, we've talked about God, or Jesus, I'm sorry, we've talked about Jesus being fully man. Peter, as he preached, and as the apostles preached, they had no doubt that Jesus was a real man that walked the face of the earth. He had a home, he, he slept at night, he, he did the things that men did, except he never sinned. But there was so much more to Jesus. There, were, there was more to Jesus than meets the eye. Because not only was he this, this man that lived and did amazing things and taught with power and authority, but he was God. And as we've seen, as Peter preached, I mean, this is important to us because really this has been the teaching of the church from the very beginning, from the moment that it was that it was started from that first moment when Peter stood up and preached the gospel and 3,000 people became believers, from that instant of planting, from that instant of gospel proclamation, it has always been that Jesus is man and Jesus is God. Before biblical or systematic or historical theology had ever even been thought of or been, been developed, their theology was this, their view of God was this, that he came in flesh and dwelt among us. We don't have to question it anymore. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to listen to people who, who now, 2,000 years later, look back in history, who aren't there, who, who, who aren't able to really look with any accuracy except for the biblical record and make these judgments about, well, he was just a good man or he was just a good teacher. You see, Jesus was so much more than just a good teacher. He was so much more than, he, he wasn't just a, a, a podunk hick from Nazareth you know, that had delusions of grandeur. He, he wasn't just a carpenter that had been in the heat too long or been hit in the head by too many boards, you know. Jesus was much more than that. He wasn't some lunatic that was off just, he was God in flesh. It's the fundamental of who he was. That's, that's the, the beginning point of understanding Jesus. And Peter teaches us then that not only was he God in flesh, but he was holy, he's sacred. It means he's distinct, set apart, separate, different sacred, special, holy, and righteous, meaning that in him there was no flaw. He was perfect. No, no, no sin in him at all. No wrong in him at all. Only goodness. He was holy and righteous. The author of life, he's the one that started it. He's the one that wrote it. He's the one that, that originated it. And then we saw a couple of weeks ago, we saw that as in that fundamental idea, you know, the, the fundamentals are important because it's like basketball. I mean, you can't get, in, get up and play basketball. When, when I watch my kids being coached in basketball, the thing that they learned over and over and over, and even the professionals, the thing that they're constantly pushed back to are the fundamentals, how to dribble, how to shoot, you know, working on form for those things. Fundamentals. You go back to the fundamentals, and that's what we have to do constantly, get back to this fundamental identity of Jesus, God in flesh, holy, righteous, author of life. But beyond that, Peter began to teach us that Jesus came for a purpose. He came to do something, and in what he did, 
we learn more about who Jesus is. It was interesting this last week in our Bible study, our Philippians Bible study on Wednesday nights, uh, we're going through this video series that Matt Chandler is, is part of. And one of the things he said that was just, it seems so profound to me. And I, I mean, maybe it's just my simple mind. But he says, the amazing thing about Jesus being God and being eternal like God is that no matter how much we know about Jesus, there will always be more to know about Jesus. And so as we study today, even as we study the fundamentals, as we study the role that he played, I mean, there's so much more to know about him. And this role that he came to fill, the, the, the job that he came to do begins to teach us in, in just an introduction of who he was. We saw a couple of weeks ago that he came to be our prophet, our priest and our king. He came to be the revealer of truth, the prophet, the one who revealed God, who gave us an understanding of God's intentions, the one who taught us what God was about, the one who said in word and spoke with authority about the job that God was doing, who taught the Jews even that their view was askew, that their, that their perspective was off. He taught the truth. He, he mediated between us and God. He is the priest. He is the one that offers sacrifice. In fact, he is that perfect sacrifice. He's the priest. He's the one that stands between us and God, who gives us hope of knowing God, who, who lets us be back in relationship with our creator, who lets us connect with him to, 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 to stand in his presence, to boldly be in front of him. I mean, we couldn't even pray it were not for Jesus. We couldn't even, even consider speaking to God. We'd be so dis, dis, distant and separated from Him. But in Jesus, His mediation, His work, has brought us to a place where we can see Him as our Father, not just some distant God who has great wrath against our sin. He's a Father who loves us, who cares for us, who's working for our good. You know, in Jesus, we, we can see him not just as a, as a harsh master, but a master who loves us and gives us a job to do that provides us purpose for our good. We don't have to see him as just some, some distant being who doesn't care, but in Jesus' mediation, in Jesus' coming and his mediation with him, we can see God as a, as a God who is intricately, completely involved with his creation. In, in Jesus, we, we find the king, we, we find prophet, priest, and king. We, we don't just have this God who sits up and lets chaos rule. In Jesus, we find the rule of God. We find his commands and his authority to command. We find a, a, a God who, who, who has a kingdom that, that will be eternal, that, that's not bound by, by, by borders like we mark borders and not, not built with buildings stands by his power, started with his power, and will be maintained forever by him and for him. And he's the ruler. Our king, our prophet, who reveals to us the truth of God, our priest who mediates between us and God, and our king who rules us as God. And then last week, we were on vacation, Matt brings to you and, and shows you where Peter preaches and, and demonstrates that Jesus is the first missionary, the sent one from God, the one come with a purpose, the one come that, that came to, 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 you know, he was on a mission. He, he was the first missionary. He becomes the sender 
of missionaries. He becomes the one who sends missionaries, and he becomes the one who equips missionaries. And today, as we kind of continue in this in this series and, and look to what Peter is teaching and, and saying about Jesus, gaining an understanding of what the earliest of all believers thought about this man, this God-man, we'll see him as leader and savior. Two roles that we desperately need filled in our lives. It's probably not that you woke up this morning thinking, I need a leader. I need someone to lead me. You know, you probably didn't wake up in danger thinking, I need someone to save me. And so it's not something we cognitively think about on a daily basis. I mean, most of us don't wake up getting shot at and needing someone to save us. We don't, we don't wake up in a fire. I'm not saying it never happens. It's just not our, typical, it's not our typical day. Needing someone to come in and rescue us. We don't wake up. You know, we're adults. We're, we're Americans. We're free to live our life. We don't need someone telling us what to do. We can, we can make our own decisions. We don't need a leader who comes and, and, and points away for us. I can figure it out on my own. I couldn't help but as I, as I sat and had coffee with Billy and Matt yesterday morning, I was watching Jasper, Billy's son, Billy and Melissa's son, and, and Jasper, and he's a cute, cute little boy, but he's a baby with a baby's perspective. And Billy was sitting, getting, ready, getting some food ready. You know, he has this, this uh, it's not a can, it's like a, a bucket of, they make things so different now, of baby food. And he's, he's getting this ready, and Jasper is just going nuts. You know, he, see, he sees it. He's like, I need that, I need it. You know, and his hands start going, and he starts doing this guttural thing. I don't, I don't know if I could even do it. But he's going, and he's not realizing that, that man, dad is working for your good. Dad's preparing this for you. Dad's getting it ready for you. And, and when it's time, you're going to have it. See, his perspective, he can't think that far. And I couldn't help but think that that's why we need a leader. Think about it. Your perspective's not big enough to understand all that goes on in the world. We can just barely see minutes before us, moments before us. We need a leader who can see a big picture, who can see the beginning from the end. We need a leader who who cares enough about us to give us what we need, not just what we want. I mean, if Jasper had it his way, he probably would only eat fruit. That's the good stuff. Man, have you ever tasted the vegetables? That may not be right about Jasper. That would have been right about my kids. They didn't want anything to do with the vegetables. Or the ham and pork stuff that was all, it was just nasty. But they needed it. See, we need a leader who knows what we need, who cares enough to give us what we need. And whether we realize it or not, whether we think about it on a daily basis or not, we are stuck in the midst of a dark, dark world. And there is no way out except for Him coming in to get us and save us. We need a Savior. We need somebody to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And they've taught this about Jesus since those very first messages. The church has believed and taught this about Jesus. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip to Acts chapter 5. Verse 27, 
Let me give you a little back, background so that you kind of have a feel for where we're at. Jesus, or I'm sorry, Peter and the apostles had been preaching and teaching about Jesus all over Jerusalem. The church is just blowing up in Jerusalem. I mean, there's thousands of members of this church now. It starts with 120 people, and now there's thousands of people. It's just blowing up major powers, uh, major acts of of power, you know, Peter and the apostles healing people, um, teaching that is just blowing them away, speaking in languages that they didn't know, all of these acts of power, all of these amazing things happening, and the Jews are seeing it. And they're being confronted with the truth about who Jesus is. And they are coming in droves, just believing and trusting in him. Well, it became very threatening for the Jewish leaders. If you think about it, if you think about it, we would probably be threatened too if someone came into America and said, your way of life really is hurting you more than it's helping you. In fact, there's a better way to do government. There's a better way to do business. There's a better way. I mean, if we heard that, we'd be like, no, in fact, it's happening. I'm not saying I agree with Obama and the things that he does. I'm not saying that, that's, that, that I even think that way. But what I'm saying is that there is a large clash between people who are hanging on to a constitution and the people who are willing to let it go. I mean, think about what's happening in our government. I mean, people, they're, they're fighting over the news radio. I mean, they're constantly bad-mouthing one another. Talk, talk, tele, or news television. You know, there's the conservative side and there's the liberal side. People trying to hang on and people trying to let go. That's what's happening. It's what's happening right in the midst of our culture. And that's what was happening to these Jews. You can't save yourself. You can't do enough good works. Your law is going to lead you to death. The man, this Jesus that you killed, he was God. Wait a minute. That's totally different than anything I've ever heard. What do I do with this? So these Jewish leaders, they start getting upset and they start trying to protect themselves and they they arrest the apostles and they say, you know what? We don't want you teaching and preaching about Jesus anymore. Stay quiet. Shut up. We don't want to hear it. So they arrest them. They put them in jail. They think that they have control. They think that they have power. But the interesting thing is, is that night after they're imprisoned, an angel comes in, lets them all out of jail, and the Jewish leaders gather that next morning, and they're, they're in their council having this meeting. What are we going to do with these guys? We need to figure out how we control them, how we stop them. They say, go get them. They, they send somebody to get them out of prison. And this guy comes back, and he says, you're not going to believe this. They're not there. Somehow they got out. And they're in the temple court teaching about Jesus. It's pretty big. You see, not only were they wrong about their perspective, but they had no way to stop it. And so when, when they're told, you know, you need to stop, this is the response. Actually, let me get my Bible. It's going to be a whole lot better if I read it to you than try to recite it. Acts chapter 5, we'll start in verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You fill Jerusalem with your teaching. You're threatening us. You're, you're on our ground. You're taken from us. This is our territory. What are you doing? We told you not to do this. Now you've filled 
Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And I think this is really the heart of what's got them upset. Not only are they upset about what's going on and and what they're hearing about the way that they're teaching about Jesus and how there's a different way to life, but they're really bothered that they're being blamed for his death. You're trying to lay his blood on us. You're trying to put his death on us. I mean, come on. Have you ever been accused of murder? Hey, you killed Jesus. No, really, I'm not joking. You killed Jesus. How's that feel? You killed Jesus. The one sent from God to save you, you killed him. I'm not trying to get you to to be in the Jewish shoes. I'm saying, sitting in this chair, the people who you are, you killed Jesus. That's tough. It hurts almost. These Jews, you know, physically in a big way, they were responsible for what happened to Jesus. We know that we know from history and from a biblical perspective that God's sovereign work was going on. We know that there was much more happening, but that does not remove the moral responsibility that these Jews had as they handed him to Pilate and, and, and insisted on his death. And when given the opportunity or the option to choose him instead of someone obviously guilty of a crime, they chose the murderer and condemned the one that had been sent to save them. And the reality is, is that's where we're at. No, we weren't there. We weren't in the square screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. We weren't there insisting that Pilate crucify We weren't there saying, give us Barabbas. But every one of us sit in a place of sinfulness, fallenness, brokenness. We fall short of the glory of God. We have missed the mark. And that sin is what sent Jesus to the cross. Not just the sin of the Jews. The sin of mankind. The fallenness of all of us. I'm a poet and didn't know it. Fallenness of all of us. He died because of us. But we don't like thinking that way very much. And I really think that's at the heart of this problem that the Jewish leaders have. Because every, every message that Peter has given to this point, he says, you killed Jesus. Everyone. He's not pulling any punches with them. <coughs> and so they're bothered by it. It goes on to say, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. You see, there's a higher authority than any law. I mean, it doesn't mean that we can go out and speed because I'm speeding for the glory of God. No, we can't do that. That's silliness. That doesn't bring Him glory. But if we're ever commanded not to speak the name or not to teach the truth of Christ... If we're ever bound by a law that tells us that, then at some level we have to ignore it. No, not at some level. We have to ignore it. We've been commanded to teach His name, to preach His name, to, to, give, our, to, to give witness to the hope that we have in Him. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers, listen, the God of our fathers, this is important for them because as Jews, He's saying the God that you call God, you know, the, the, the one that 
that spoke to Abraham and called him to get up and leave his land, the one, the, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, that God, the God of our fathers, he raised Jesus. Oh, this is big for them. They don't like this because their God, the, the God that they've get, has, he's given them a law. And if you can just do these things, and if you just follow these rules, you know, you can have life. That's their thought. That's what they think. That's what they've been taught. And he says that the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. You see, Peter... He wants them to see that Jesus is not just a mere man. He's, he's more than that. God raised him from the dead. The man that you killed, God raised him from the dead and made him leader and savior. And for us to really get that, to really understand what he's saying there, we, I'm going to have to give you just a small lesson in Greek. I'm, not, I'm no Greek scholar, so I had to learn this as well. But the, the translation, if you're reading in New King James... New American Standard or King James, you're reading, he's made him a prince and savior. And those are, those are good translations, but I really appreciate the way the ESV does it because when you go back to that Greek word, it's archegos. When you go back to that word, the two root words for it, arche means beginner, originator, and ago means to lead. You put those together, you get the beginning leader, the chief leader the chief one that leads, the beginning of leading. And so we have this idea that Jesus isn't just a prince, like a, a, a royal prince, but he's one that's gone ahead. He's led us. He's, he's stepped out in front of us. He is a leader. This word is only used four other times in all of Scripture. Acts three, fifteen says, And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Here it's translated as author. He's the one that originated it. It's like a book that's being written. He's the one that put it out on paper. He's the one that made it, made it come to life. Hebrews 2.10 says, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder. It's translated here as founder. Should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder of and perfecter of our faith, the founder of our faith, the one who put it into place, the one who constructed it, the one who did the work to make it possible. He founded it, he started it, he originated it. It's not just simply that he is some cause, like some distant cause, like a cause and effect relationship in some way it is, but that's an incomplete picture. He originated it. Let me help you see this maybe from a different perspective. When I was in the army, I was part of a unit, the last unit I was a part of was 6th Battalion, 101st Airborne Division. We were a division-level asset, and it was kind of unique because I was a, I was a helicopter mechanic, and I flew for a general. I, my, well, I was a crew chief for a general. I didn't actually do the flying. I sat in the back and made sure that we didn't run into anything. Um, and I maintained the aircraft. But in that unit, along with helicopter mechanics and along with helicopter pilots and, and helicopter tasks to do, was a group of infantry. They were called Pathfinders. And it was their job, we would take them in and we would drop them off. We would put them in forward positions 
and they would go in and they would clear landing zones so that the rest of the 101st Airborne Division could fly in and drop their soldiers into the front, uh, into the front lines and fly away. If they hadn't gone in and made the path for us, if they hadn't gone in and blazed a trail for us, it never would have happened. They couldn't sit back and say, here's a good place for you to do it. That looks like a place that might work for you. Um, you know, we're not going to go. We're just going to look at this map and send you guys. No, they had to go. They physically had to go. They had to make a way. They had to make it happen for the rest of us so that when the soldiers went in, so that when the rest of the units brought the infantry in, that they could be dropped and there would be a place that was secure for them to land into that could, uh, that could handle the helicopters for them to fly into. So they had to have these pathfinders. And in a big way, that's what Jesus is. He is a pathfinder for us. He went ahead of us. Not just a distant cause, but one who was intimately involved in the process. In fact, if you go back to our passage in Acts chapter 5, verse 31, it kind of gives us the indication that it wouldn't have happened any other way. You see, because it says in verse 31 that God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance and forgiveness. Had Jesus not been this leader who went before us, who walked this path before us, who did this work before us, and just stayed distant and said, oh, they'll figure it out on their own. We'll send some more prophets and they'll get it. They killed the prophets. They ignored them. Oh, let's give them some more rules to follow. They would fail. If Jesus had to come, he had to stand in this place and he had to walk this path. He had to do this work ahead of us. He had to be our leader. You see, because Jesus isn't a leader that's sitting in an office or sitting in some distant remote place saying, I hope you guys get it. But he's one who walked the path, who went where he's now calling us to follow. He's our leader. And we need him leading. We need this leader. We need him walking this path. We need him doing this work. What's the path? What did he do? In verse 30, Peter kind of gives us a clue. He says, in verse 30, he says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. You see, this is what, this is the path. Jesus died. You killed him. But the God of our fathers his father raised him from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, we kind of get a creed that might help explain this a little bit as well. It's one of the, thought to be one of the earliest Christian creeds. It says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance, but I also received, that's Paul speaking to the Corinthians, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. He died for our sins. He was buried. The importance of the burial, the they didn't bury somebody that was alive. He was there for three days. There was a tomb that had been sealed shut and guards had been put around it. Nobody went in there and got the body or messed with it. He was buried. And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. You see the path that Jesus walked for us, that he led in, that he, that he worked in? Sure, he set a beautiful example 
And yeah, I think it starts in the example he set in the life he lived and, and what he did in the power of, of working in mercy, working in grace, bringing truth, teaching the great things. But this path that he walked in, death, burial, and resurrection, that's the work of the gospel. That's the work that he did that we can now follow in. You see, we don't have to be afraid of death. You know why we don't have to be afraid of death? Because in Christ, he's already defeated death. Your body, once it's buried in the ground, your, your body may rot and decay, but you know what? One day it's going to happen. In Christ, because of Christ, your body will be raised and what was old and fouled, uh, uh, fallible and, and broken will be made new. Without the nature of sin and, and all the pain and all the problems of this life that come with that sin nature will be gone. He walked this path. He led in it. Death, burial, and resurrection providing forgiveness for our sins and hope of eternal life. See, Je Jesus, he stepped into this life. He blazed the trail from, from, from where, or he blazed the trail for us that, that we're headed on now, that we can be headed on now. He, he showed us the way. Had it happened any other way, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have worked. Well, let's think about this. This path, yeah, it, it, it leads from this life to the next. It, 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 we, we have some understanding that, that I leave sin and I enter life, but, but what is that really about? You see, Jesus leading, it, it's not just about getting eternal life. That's not just the end goal. For so many Christians, though, that's what we teach. And for so many people, that's what we've been taught all our lives. All you need to do is just say this prayer and you will be given life and you're just going to be okay. You see, that path that Jesus walked, that he blazed for us, is so much more than that. It's so much more than just simply getting into getting our get-out-of-hell-free card. See, his path, the path that he blazed for us, the path that he, he marked for us, that he walked for us, that he's leading us in, that path leads us from sin and death to God and life. You see, that, that, that path, it starts in this place where, where we are ravaged, with sin. We don't even get it. We don't recognize it. We don't see how deep it runs or how, how the, the, the stain of it is all the way through us. But even as believers, we stand here today and we're struggling with this sin nature. And the idea is, you know, so much of the time when, when we talk about sin, the idea is, is that we talk about sin and the things that we do. Well, I, I don't know, pick something. Um, I don't want a cultural sin. Something that I, I looked at, I, I looked at porn. There's guys all over this room that probably struggle with this. I looked at porn. That's a sin. It is a sin. But you know, that sin right there, that, that issue right there, that's not the depth of what sin is. That's just a symptom of something much deeper. See, because that sin, that symptom is something that starts way before that. Sin really is those things that are in opposition to God. They, they are acts that we commit. They are things that we omit. But it all starts with an intent and motivation of our heart. See, because sin, really what sin is, is those things that oppose God and where it starts in us is in our heart. 
every sin, whether it's porn, adultery, murder, lying, cheating, stealing, whatever sin you choose, every sin starts with this one. This one. You don't recognize God to be who he is. Read Romans chapter 1. God has revealed himself. He says, I am the eternal creator. I have shown you my power. I have made myself plain. And no one will stand with excuse. But in our wisdom, our worldly wisdom, in in our fallenness, in our flawed perspectives, we think that we have the answers. So we deny God. And we build for ourselves little gods. Things that may look really noble to the rest of the world. Oh, I'm a good person because I give so much to charity. I'm a good person because look at all the kids I've helped in Africa. I'm a good person because I don't look at porn. I'm a good person because, you know, I show up at church every Sunday. I'm a good person because nobody else knows what's going on inside of me. You see, everything that we present of ourselves that we say is good, they're little gods. And they are sinful. Oh, I'm such a great dad. I just give my whole life to my kids. And and really, that's what I'm created for. My family. I'm created for my family. Man, and and that, that fills me and it gives me satisfaction. It gives me approval and hope. Because I can be such a good dad. Man, I'm sure you can be a good dad. But men, to be the best dad, you better find your hope and your identity and the power and, and, and your security in Christ. Because if He is not the central figure of your life, you've created this little God that will lead you to sin and death. These these little gods, they're destructive. They don't care about you. They don't want what's best for you. They're not going to lead you in any way that's good for you. Paul, writing to to the Philippians, he says to them, he says, brothers join in imitating me and walk and keep your eye on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Speaking of the other apostles, the others who, who planted the church probably. Walk in this way. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, meaning that that's their appetites, the things that they live for, their selfishness, their self Centered ways. And they glory in their shame, having minds set on earthly things. Even the most noble earthly thing, in the wrong priority or position in your life, becomes a little God and is in opposition to the one true God and leads you to sin. You see, Jesus says, I'm walking this path, this death burial, and resurrection. I'm walking in this way that you might have repentance. 
I'm leading in this, that you might see that the things that you give your life to, they may seem noble. They may be culturally acceptable. They may make you look to the rest of the world like you're a good person, but they will destroy you. Your hope is in me, in the God who provides salvation. Follow me, trust me, walk behind me. He's a leader that leads us from this sin and death to God and life. You know, our greatest need more than any other thing is forgiveness from God. You don't need another meal like you need forgiveness from God. You don't need to take another breath like you need forgiveness from God. You don't need the clothes on your back, the car that you drive in, the, the, the job that you have, the money that you make. You don't need that like you need forgiveness from God. You killed His Son. You need forgiveness from God. You don't need to be a good parent, a good husband, a good child, like you need forgiveness from God. We need His forgiveness. And Jesus walked this path, death, burial, and resurrection that in repentance, as we, as we recognize that fallenness and the sin and the, and the little gods that control us and enslave us, that we can turn from those things and look to God. You see, He's the end game. He's the real end game. He's the one that we should live for. He's the one that deserves our priority. If eternal life is the thing that you hope for and long for and want more than Him, then even that has become an idol. God deserves your worship. He's the only thing, the only one that has ever been worthy of worship. Sure, it's great to long for eternal life. But if you want that more than the God that offers it, your priorities are skewed. And suddenly you'll be living for that rather than living to God. You see, He leads us to God. Our greatest need to be reconnected with Him to know Him, to be able to walk into His presence, to be in His throne room, to bow at His feet, to, to see the, 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 the glory of his, of his robe, filling His throne room, to, to imagine the seraphim floating on either side, flying Him on either side of Him, and crying out, holy, 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 we can't be there. But as we follow Jesus in Christ, we have that hope. We have that opportunity. We have it available. Because in His leading along this path from sin and death, we can know God. And really the result of knowing God, that's life. It's the natural byproduct of being connected with Him. And sometimes we get things so mixed up. We want the product without having the producer. You know, I want to be fit, but I don't like exercise. Can't stand it. Look at me, but I'd love to be fit. If I had a six-pack instead of a case, it'd be awesome. But I don't want the producer, you know. I'd really just, I just want the product. Just give me what I want, not what I need. But Jesus leads us to his father that's where we need to be headed that's where he calls us to follow him not only is he our leader but he is our savior and we love this idea 
I mean, I, I think it's in our fallenness that we really get the, we, we really want this. You know, I think it, at some level we recognize that we really need it. I think that at some level, that in the depths of who we are, we recognize that we need help, that we understand something's wrong. I mean, think about why is it, why is it that heroes are so popular in our culture? I mean, whether it's Batman and, and the Joker, you know, I mean, Batman, Dark Knight, one of the most popular movies of all time. Fighting evil, trying to figure it out in this broken world, you know. What I do might have some effect. We love that. Jack Bauer in 24 went for like nine seasons, eight or nine seasons. We, you know, hey man, if I'm going to get shot at, I want Jack Bauer. That man will protect me. He made all of his promises come true. Every one of them. And some of those were as outstanding. How are you going to protect the president and your daughter and your wife all at the same time? That was the first season. He was their savior. We we love this idea. Neo in Matrix. I mean, Matrix, another very popular movie for its day. Uh, It's kind of old. I know some of you probably think, man, that's drawn from way back then. But Neo, man, he was a huge picture of a savior. And in fact, if you take his letters of his name, the one, you get it? He was the chosen one to come in and save all the world from the machines. We love stories like that. Because at some level, I think we understand. We need someone to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And Jesus, in his death and resurrection, provides salvation this path that he walked, this path that he blazed for us, this path that he says, now follow me in. That path, that is salvation. It it, it is him saving us. His calling us to trust in him is not him being arrogant or proud. It's him knowing that that's the only way for us, that there is no other hope. Jack Bauer's not going to do it for you. Batman can't make it happen. And Neo, he's going to fail. But Jesus, he's already done it. His death paid the price for your sins. His broken body, his shed blood, it paid the price. And his resurrection sealed the deal. Salvation is available in him and Him alone. Why do we need to know these things? First, because I think we need to be reminded of them. Second, because I think we need to be called to quit trusting in those little gods that we establish for ourselves, our own good works, our, our little ways of making ourselves feel good about ourselves. And trust in Him alone as our Savior. As our Savior He's the fireman that came and got you and didn't just tell you how to get out. He pulled you out. He carries you out. He's not just the guy that comes in and, and, and says, hey, get behind that rock so you don't get shot in the head. He takes the bullets for you. You see, he's our savior. We need to trust in him and him alone. And every one of us, even as Christians, struggle with this every day. Our hearts are idol factories, John Calvin said. 
We are constantly erecting things for us to put our hope in other than Him. You need to be reminded that He alone is your Savior. You need to be reminded that He not only is your Savior, but He's your leader. The path He walked, you must follow. It's not always going to be easy. In fact, listen to this. Matthew 16, 24 through 25, Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Does that sound good? Hey, come on, pick up your cross and let's go. Not to those guys, it didn't. Man, we don't deal with crucifixion, so that doesn't sound too bad to us, maybe. I mean, I can drag a cross for a few hundred yards, but I certainly don't want to end up where it's headed. I don't have to really worry about getting nailed to a tree, do I? Oh, but that's what he's calling us to. Pick up your cross and follow me. All these other things, they will lead you astray. You need to follow this leader. Your life is not your own. You've been bought at a price. He set, us, he set for us an example. He didn't live for himself. What did he do as he, as he knelt in the garden and he prayed and he, and he cried out to his father? If there's any other way, let the cup pass from me. If Jesus, man, it's hard for me to imagine, but if Jesus could have shown some other way, I think he'd have had it. But there wasn't another way. But not my will, but yours be done. He followed the Father's will. He lived to glorify his Father, to lead us to his Father. We need to follow him as our leader. We need to follow his example and trust him in him alone for our salvation. That's why we need to know it. But beyond that, we're left in a world who needs to be told that they killed Jesus. I'm not saying get up and go to your neighbor's door and say, hey, you killed Jesus, what are you going to do about it? Maybe your neighbor's that dense and he needs to hear it that way. But they need to know. And we're the only ones that can tell them. It's the job and the purpose and the mission he left us to do. You see, Jesus made it really clear. Our lives are to be about the Father. He came to glorify the Father. The, the Holy Spirit came to glorify Him so that the Father gains glory. And then He says, as you glorify me, make sure you're telling others about me. Worship God and lead others to worship Him. The very vision and central focus of our church. Worship Him and lead others to worship Him. That's it. We need to know Him as our Savior and follow Him as our leader if we're ever going to think that's going to happen. That's why we need to know it. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your Son. We thank You that You did send Him to save us, to drag us out of this burning building, to stand in front of the flying bullets, to, <clears throat> to be the answer to this disease, the cure for this, this problem that we have. I thank you that you didn't just 
tell us about it or, or, or write some story about it or send somebody in your stead, but Father, that you sent your Son, God of very God, to come and save us. Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to humble yourself to, to step out of the glory of heaven, to come into our existence, to put on flesh and dwell among us that we might see and experience you and come to know you. And by coming to know you, come to know your Father. We thank you for the work that you have done, for the power that you have provided. We pray, God, that you would bring conviction in our lives today, that we would see these little idols that we build, that we that we look for our acceptance in, for that we look for approval in, that we look for security in, the, those things that we think we can control. God, show us those little idols that, that we put our hope and trust in. Help us to repent of them, to turn from them and turn only to you. Help us to, to worship you, to honor you with our lives, not just in the songs that we sing, but in the way that we live our lives, the actions that we make, the things that we don't do and that we do. Father, help us. Help us follow your Son to walk in the path that he's made for us. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We always come to this point where we respond. I don't know how that is for you today. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know how the, the message is, is speaking to your heart. But I'd encourage you to consider it. Think about the words that Jesus is your leader and Savior. How do you need to follow Him? How do you need to trust in Him for your salvation? How, what do you need to repent of? What do you need to seek forgiveness for? That's the scripture today. How do you respond? We're going to sing some songs and worship. I would encourage you to consider as we do. If you want to pray and you need somebody to talk to, I'm always available. Just come and get me and we'll go someplace in the building so you don't have to be out in front of everyone. If, if you just need to sit still, do it. Bow your head right where you're at. Nobody's going to be looking at you and wondering. Ah, there's probably some of us that are wondering what's going on, but it's because we care. We'll only talk about you a little bit. I'm just kidding. Do what you need to do. Spend this time with the Spirit. Listen to Him. Follow Him. Respond to Him. Let's sing.